Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Seven Podcast. I'm Scott. Um, yeah, that's me. And with me is my co-host, Micah. Man, I hope you know what your name is as many times as we've done this. I know. Well, I, I, I'm kind of going back to my old roots. Like when I used to do the show by myself, it's like, hi, welcome to the Scott Seven Podcast. I'm Scott. Like, who else? I would do it all the time. And it's like, well, who else would they be listening to on this show? It's my show. Like, hi, welcome to the Scott Simmons Podcast. This is Micah Current. And uh, Scott's not start, here because he died. You can start and... <laughs> talking in the third person. Yeah. The like Scott Stedman. And it's not in the, Well, I'm in, I'm in Ohio now, so I, I can't say Scott Stedman. I have to see the Scott Stedman. <laughs> like the Wait. Ohio State University. <laughs> Get that out of here. <laughs> the miami university <laughs> mm, i don't think they'll ever be that way no i don't think so either all the right university but, of cincinnati <laughs> the university of dayton <laughs> the university of akron the kent state university the cuyahoga community college <laughs> Yeah, everything get every college in, in, in Ohio just will become the the universe university of Toledo. Yeah, shout out from what colleges you are if you're listening to this. So we can put the in front of it. But uh we have a great show for you today, a great topic. Um, but before we dive right into that topic, stories gone wild. So I'll start first because I was going to talk about something completely different. And then um, today was just an uh, interesting day. So um, my wife was working. She works as a sub as she's trying to finish up her – the few classes she has to get her license here in Ohio to teach. Um, and she informed me that she was not going to be – home in time for me to take my daughter to swim lessons, which means I had to take both my daughter and my son, which for the most part, would it be a big deal, but I like to work out while my daughter's swimming. And it's kind of that whole, like, well, the kids can't be in there, but I see kids in there all the time. So I'm in there and I'm like, tell my son, you can't touch a weight. You can't, you can't get on the machines. You can't do anything. You're just going to have to get out of people's way and just that's me why I'm doing my arm and legs and, chest workout so um that was fine did that daughters don't swim lessons there's only one like family bathroom for the three of us to go in there well my son goes oh i'm going to check something dad i go okay so he goes walks down he was just checking the vending machines to see what different flavored water they have then someone came out so me and my daughter go in there so she can change and we're in there and my son's still outside in the uh, lobby area. Then all of a sudden I hear the speaker go on all staff, please. And I couldn't hear anything. I'm thinking, Oh no, my son's in trouble. Like I, it's like one of those things as a parent, you're thinking, Oh, my son did something stupid. And now they're calling, like they're trying to buzz me in, but they said, all staff, please go to the pool. And I'm thinking, uh Oh, what's going on? So my daughter's like half dressed. I open up the door and I look around the corner and there's my son coming around. I'm like, get in here. So I like pulled him into the room and I asked him what's going on. And apparently there was a kid whose father went to the bathroom and they were in their transition. All the lifeguards were in their transition. And this little kid just happened to jump in the pool and went right down to the bottom of the pool. And luckily someone saw him, grabbed him, pulled him up, started doing um, CPR on him. Uh, they called fire squad, everything. And we are leaving to get in the car and I'm hearing the sirens. But by the time we got everyone in and <laughs> drive out, there was literally 15 Columbus police cars, a fire, a fire truck and an EMT truck. I'm thinking, yikes. So I don't know how severe or how, serious it was or what happened but it was crazy and i don't know it was just one of those things where you just think everything's going normal and then all of a sudden your heart kind of stops because you hear that thing and you're like oh my son's getting in trouble and then you hear pool and then you start hearing what happened and you're like oh my gosh like i'm glad it wasn't any of my kids but that's scary that was some scary stuff hmm. 
So yeah, so not necessarily crazy or wild as like something insane happening, but just kind of how quickly things can turn in an instant. And for the dad who, I just need to go to the bathroom real quick. I'll be right back. And next thing you know, he's going in there and it's like, they're like doing chest compressions on his son to get all the water out and doing mouth to mouth on him. Like that's, ugh, man, can't imagine that. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if I could top that. Well, it's not about topping, but yeah, it's no, no, no. Like I mean, like I literally, have... like it's, it's like I mean, it's, it's like a serious thing, right? And it then, is. like, you know, well, first I thought that's not where I thought the the story was going, right? I uh, thought, that, yeah. I thought, I thought you were going to say that you were at swim lessons with your daughter and Peter fell in the pool. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I thought it was going. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody it, fell in the... it, it, it took a it took a really severe turn. <laughs> Somebody fell in the pool that wasn't supposed to, and it wasn't Peter. <laughs> so but I, I mean, but I mean it makes me think because you know, I'm going on a I'm going on a missions trip in July, and then we're going to a youth convention in Daytona Beach. And I'm sure a lot of my students are probably going to go out and swim play out on and... the beach and swim. And there is that concerned part of me that's like, okay, like undertow is a real thing and you know how again like you know you could go and that's the thing like if you're in the ocean you could think that you're right there next to your group and then you know the current kind of moves you down and next you know you could get lost so i think there's a part of me that's kind of the idea of okay i want to make sure like everybody's accounted for every because i don't want to have to make that phone call to a parent going hey you know, I had to do CPR on your child because they got sucked in the undertow, and thankfully we were able to get them out. And and pick, yeah, them, and figure that out. And get them out, but yeah, I can't even imagine like pastors who have to make those type of phone calls, like those serious phone calls, like, hey, your kid got seriously hurt, or worst case scenario, you know, hey, your kid passed away on a trip. Like, that would be, that'd be devastating to have to do. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure you've, I mean, I, I've done church camp. I've also done like band camps over the years mm -hmm. and taught music. And, you know, the, uh, the amount of times where we've had to take a kid to the emergency room because they sprain their ankle or, uh, you know, something crazy happens, right? Like yeah. you have to call the parents and let them know what's going on because I mean, it's your, their kids, you're basically responsible for their kids. Yeah, um, absolutely. So uh, same at church camp. And, you know, that's why we have, you know, nurses that kind of hang out for the week and can kind of serve as a, a first point of contact when something like that happens. But wow. I'm glad the kid's okay. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, uh, I guess my story, um, for those of you that listened to last week's episode, I shared about uh, the church that my wife and I have been attending, which is the, the local church, uh, Presbyterian church in town where we live. And so we've kind of landed there for a season and just want to, go to church and hang out and, you know, see what God has for us, uh, during the season and, you know, in the future. And I shared last week about the hand sanitizer. Scott, do you remember that story? I do remember that story. Yes. So we, um, I share that story and just kind of just do, doing a quick recap. I went to the bathroom last week in search of a tissue and I came back, I saw a hand sanitizer dispenser. I put my hand under it and not thinking about it. I rubbed my hands together like you would if you got hand sanitizer. And I was like, man, this seems like it's not sanitize, you know, sanitizer. And uh turns out it was hand soap, right? And so I rub my hands together, it gets real sudsy. I go back to the bathroom, rinse my hands off, smell my hands, and I'm like, this has got to be hand soap. This past Sunday, um, we're walking out of the sanctuary and I'm talking to the pastor and his wife and they're like, how are things going on with you guys? We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're visiting. I'm so glad that you decided to just hang out, hang out with us for a bit. And um, I I said, Jason, can I tell you something? He's like, sure. Jason's the pastor. And I'm like, you know, I, I love you. And the story just, you know, we're, we're walking out of the lobby and we walk by the hand sanitizer dispensers. And it just, I was like, I've got to tell you this. And he's like, what's that? And I was like, well, Scott and I, my friend Scott and I do this podcast every week and we have a segment on the podcast called stories gone wild. And he's like, Oh yeah. He's like, what, what's the the podcast about? And I tell him it's like theology and religion and leadership and all these things. And I was like, well, we do this segment at the beginning where we crazy things we've seen in the church or in life or whatever. And I was like, I actually shared about 
your church last week and he was like oh yeah what, <laughs> what did you what did you say thinking like it was bad or something and I was like no it wasn't bad it was just I shared about my experience last Sunday and I said that you know I went to the bathroom during service and I came back and I used this what I thought was sanitizer and I'm convinced Jason that it's hand soap he was like really and I was like check it out and like he like sure enough he lifted the lid and he looked inside and he was like oh yeah that, that's hand soap <laughs> He was like, there's like, this is, there is no way this. So he walks into the men's restroom. This is a smaller church. The building's not very big. So he walks into the men's restroom and there's like this cabinet with all the cleaning supplies in it. And sure enough, he pulls out the hand soap and it matches the color that's in the hand sanitizer dispenser. Oh, wow. And so he just thought it was absolutely, he went, actually, he texted me later that day and he said he listened to our episode from last week and he was like, that is absolutely hysterical. He thought it was funny. He thought it was hysterical that somebody put hand soap in the hand sanitizer dispenser. Yeah, that, he's like, that's that's funny. He was like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna empty those out this week and put hand sanitizer." In. Yeah, it's like, but Goodness. yeah, that was it. Was just a I got confirmation that the dispensers were actually dispensing hand uh, hand soap instead of hand sanitizer. So. We've well, cracked the case. Everything's good. Um, I think by next Sunday, we'll have actual sanitizer in the sanitizer dispensers. And, and you don't have to lay awake at night wondering, was it just very coagulated hand sanitizer? Was I mean, soap? I was 99.999% sure that it was. Kind of like how hand sanitizer is 99.99 kills germs. <laughs> But he and his wife thought that was just the funniest thing that somebody oh, would put hands up. Wow, that's hilarious. Yes. Oh, so my. that awesome. was my my story. It was actually a continuation. I don't know that we've ever had continuations of stories from the previous weeks, but it was uh, yeah. to be continued last week. I cracked the case. Well, speaking of continuing stories, back in episode 175, we had that episode where we talked about the worship leader trademark mm-hmm. and kind of the weird things that happen and how worship leader, the uh, brand or the magazine happened to be um, targeting other social media pages that had worship leader in them and just kind of shutting them down and people are losing their YouTube pages and stuff. Well, just probably on April 24th. So we got a couple weeks back. There was a written apology that says uh, dear friends for the past 30 years we have sought to serve equip and encourage leaders in the church recently some of our actions have caused a distraction from the mission of living in the fullness of christ together in all things we are sincerely sorry deeply regretful and ask forgiveness for any of these recent actions which for some have created confusion disappointment hurt and disunity we want to speak blessings and life to the people and ministries that were affected by our actions and pray for healing, restoration, reconciliation. You can read our full statement. Please visit the link in our bio. Okay. There we go. Um, however, it seems like even after that apology, there's been some people who have kind of pointed out some certain things. For an example, uh, one person wrote, why have you started blocking people who question the next steps after your apology? It comes across as the apology not being authentic. Um, we also see people who are still kind of saying, well, you're apologizing, but when we address this issue, you kind of ignored it and you put out a statement saying, eh, don't worry, we're not doing that. And there's other people saying, yeah, you have, because our sites have been taken down and people being blocked. And, um, and it's, I think people just, a lot of the, um, and that's the thing, like a lot of times people are saying, well, hey, thanks for the apology. When are these people's pages going to be restored? Is there a timetable? When is, when's all that going to happen? And there's just been no response since the apology. So, um, yeah, wow. <laughs> like, I don't, I mean, that's, that's wild. That's. That in itself is just a wild story because it's wild that there was even people's pages being shut down because of the worship leader trademark. And B, they're seeing how much it's causing damage. And then when there's more accountability or they're asking questions after an apology, 
either they're blocking people or they're staying silent. And it's kind of like there's a lot of mixed messages being sent off from how people are perceiving this. So um, I guess if we find anything more, if there's more stuff that's coming out of it, we will let you guys know in a next in a future episode. But that's kind of what's been going on with that worship leader controversy <laughs> that we talked about a few weeks back. So wild, man. <laughs> my my pages are still there. So well, do you use worship leader in your title? Is it Michael worship leader or Michael worship leader current? <laughs> Uh, worship pastor. Worship pastor. Oh, well, then there you go, because it says pastor, not leader. So I think you're fine. Okay. Because that's not trademark. I think all my social handles say Christ follower or worship pastor thing. It doesn't say anything about leader. Yeah. So that I think that's why you're safe, because you haven't used the L word leader. <laughs> well, I do have, I do have credentials that say pastor in the, in the certificate. Yeah. So. Goodness. All right, so today, um, as some of Mike and I have talked about, I don't know if we've actually talked about it actually on an episode or we talked about it off air, but Mike and I are really into wrestling. And not professional like wrestling. Professional wrestling, meaning leg drops, elbow drops, Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, um, Sami Zayn, whatever, uh, WWE... AEW. Um, I watch some New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, don't really Me watch too. NWA or Ring of Honor, but yeah, we kind of watch wrestling, and we watched WrestleMania. That was probably a month ago. Was WrestleMania at the beginning of April, and mm-hmm. um, Backlash is actually this weekend. So, Backlash. <laughs> we'll see how well that that goes. But um, yeah, and one of the things I've noticed with especially the most recent product of wrestling is how they've done a lot more of longer, more engaging storytelling than they have done in the past. Um, growing up as a kid, you know, I vaguely remember the whole Macho Man, Hulk Hogan, when they were the... Um, I forget the name of their tag team, but where there's that and the love triangle. Mega, mega, mega powers. Mega powers and Miss Elizabeth. Like, okay, that was a storyline during the Attitude area. I think the biggest storyline was basically the Monday Night Wars. And, you know, I would flip the channel between WWE and WCW. And, you know, if I was getting bored on what was on WWE, I would go over to WCW and I would just. You know, I'd have those programs set, so I just had to hit the one button that would flip between those two channels, and I would just keep doing that on Monday, and that was like my entertainment on Monday night. Uh, but we've been seeing kind of more. I feel longer... like I have to share about that, but like, so I did the same thing in the nineties. Mm-hmm. But like, I remember that WCW Monday Nitro was three hours at one point, and it was like mm-hmm. from eight to eleven, and then WWE started WWF at the time started at nine and went nine to eleven, and I would always watch the first hour of wcw flip on raw i would record nitro on a vhs scott dating myself and then, <laughs> and then when raw was over i would go back and then watch the other two hours of nitro mm. so i would be up till 12 30 one o'clock in the morning on mondays when i was you know and then go to school, school. <laughs> and yep. then go to school tired on tuesday yeah but um I've, but I've appreciated some of the longer storytelling that they've been doing um, and not just the thing with the bloodline, but there's been some other things too that, you know, they drop little seeds here. And you kind of see some of these bigger things or sometimes I know when they had the whole Kofi mania thing and how he was going against Randy Orton and they kind of brought back, you know, when Kofi messed up, uh, was supposed to be messed up a punt kick or something. And Randy Orton hits him with the RKO and he calls him stupid in the ring and kind of, you know, delayed Kofi's push, like, you know, back whenever that happened, like late 2000s. Um, And I've been thinking about that and looking at the idea of storytelling and not only storytelling, but how do we as pastors craft our messages in a way that, um, that convey the truth of the gospel, but also 
get the people that you're proclaiming it to, your audience, how they can be connected and stay hooked to kind of the journey you're taking them. And so I want to kind of talk about more of crafting, you know, crafting a message and crafting a, a sermon in a way that engages people. But then even the idea of how do you craft something that kind of pulls people along for a journey, maybe like a series or something, or maybe you're doing this big six month journey through the Bible and you're kind of taking people along. And how do you keep people engaged when you start taking them on these long journeys through a Sunday morning message? Um, lots to unpack there. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm throwing everything out and we're just going to sort through it. <laughs> sure. So a couple of things. One, yeah. um, huge wrestling fan. I've been watching since I think Scott, you're a little bit older than I am, but like I, I started watching, uh, right before WrestleMania 12 and the build to the Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Iron Man match. Uh, I think it was right around 1996 was when I really broke into watching wrestling. And, um, I find it interesting that, you know, we grew up through the attitude era, the ruthless aggression era, like early, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. And like pop culture was just on fire in the nineties and wrestling was like right in the center of that. And, um, the stories, like everybody that was on the show had a purpose. It didn't matter who you were. Didn't matter if you were champion, if you weren't, if you were a tag team, if you were singles act, it was just, everybody had a purpose on that show. And, um, I watched all the way up through the early 2000s and then I kind of fell off in the right around 2000, I don't know, 12. And I stopped watching for four or five years up until 16. I would catch it here and there. And then I watched, I started picked it up in 16 again and started watching again. Um, but your comment about the long storyline or the story uh, themes that they're trying to portray. I, you know, I, I'm, I've kind of got mixed feelings about it. Mm. Um, I, I'm a big, like we live in this instant gratification, TikTok generation, mm -hmm. Facebook, real Instagram, real world where everything is kind of like at your fingertips and it kind of gets boring after a while. I've been, I've never been a Roman Reigns fan ever. Like even when I think if they would have pushed him as a heel to begin with, it would be a different story for me. And I'd have, have a yeah. different opinion, but I don't understand why they're doing this long-term we got to, he's got to be undefeated for three years and never lose the title. And it's like it, that for me is just, you know, we can talk about that for hours, Yeah, but it, I think it's that slow burn that you're talking about. And mm -hmm. I think it's the idea of like, okay, how can we keep people invested? How can we keep people wanting to watch more and be involved in these storylines on a weekly basis? which is, I think, one of the things that made the Attitude Era so successful. It's like, well, we're going off the air. We'll catch you next time, folks. It made you want more the very next week to see what Austin was going to do to The Rock and what The Rock was going to do to Austin or what Vince McMahon was going to do, what horrible yeah. deed was Vince going to do to Austin, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, and uh, to take it kind of the church to the church uh, world, to the pulpit, to the the teaching and in the church world, um, how do you, when you, when you asked me about this topic, I, I, I started to think about sermon illustrations and mm -hmm. stories and things like that when you're crafting a sermon. Um, and how, my brain, uh, my brain went straight to like cringy, right? <laughs> like cringy. you send me, you send me videos all the time of crazy, stupid, you know, things that pastors probably shouldn't say from the pulpit. Uh, yeah. but for me, I'm thinking of being a pastor's kid. And I can't tell you how many times my dad would use this as illustrations, whether that was good, bad, teasing, not whatever. Um, and should, should I have been used as a sermon illustration? They, you know, as a kid, not knowing what was going to happen. Like I, I had no idea in real time what that was going to, what that was going to be like. And then maybe even the long-term effects that had on me growing up. Um, I don't know if that's, kind of the direction you wanted to go or one of the directions. Yeah. You wanted to go. Well, I mean, I think, I think that's the thing. And I, and I mean, going back to the whole Roman Reigns story. Yeah. The whole Roman Reigns part, that's part for me is not, inter is not as interesting as it was getting, it was more interesting when you started to see kind of 
Sami Zayn come in. Like that was kind of adding another character into that whole thing and kind of building that up and everything else really started to build some interest to something that was going stale. So, you know, how do we get a story that's kind of going stale? How do we add some more stuff? Well, let's add this in. Let's add this relational thing. So now that's kind of paying itself off and it's not necessarily Roman story, but it's more of the Usos and them and how that's connecting. So you have almost all these different stories that are kind of connecting to this big mega story. Um, So that's what's big, making it more interesting, even though the whole I'm having this belt and no one can beat me and blah, blah, blah. Like even that was kind of like, eh, I'm not really concerned about that. Um, When I think about crafting a sermon in a way that keeps people enticed for so long, um, I, I look at Jesus because when Jesus would preach, a lot of times he would, he would start preaching. We look at the sermon on the Mount and he's telling people, here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he's going, but then eventually he gets to the point where now he's teaching parables and he's telling stories and people are listening to these stories and they're enticed by these stories and they get into these ideas where they understand these stories where now they're being won over to understanding what it means to be a kingdom person through these stories. Um, in my experience, there's times where I was trained a lot of times to do a lot of the exegetical work. So a lot of times my earlier sermons were basically, hey, here's the scripture, here's my three points, and then I start giving all this information, background information, social economic history. I'm giving all this information like it's a lecture, and I find it fascinating, and and some people in my church found it fascinating, but after a while, it got boring because I don't think people want to sit there and listen to a lecture. They want to listen to a message that hopefully can inspire them and move them and instruct them to how to live their life or how to navigate certain situations or certain topics that they're dealing with. Um, So with that being said, my whole approach to writing sermons have been more of finding things that people can connect to, finding stories that my target audience that I'm speaking to can a understand and engage and help them be able to see how God is moving in their midst through that. Um, So sometimes a series helps if you have a certain series, like I did a series on mental health one year and really talked about mental health and, and looked at scriptures on what scripture says about things like depression and anxiety and all that stuff. Uh, But one thing I've been even, playing with is you know how many good sermons can a pastor preach in a year and i I asked that question how many like good sermons and by good i mean people are engaged people are listening people are focused they're not tuned out they're really engaged into the message that's being portrayed like how many good sermons can a pastor preach and i think if we're honest with ourselves, I don't think it would be 56. I think it would probably be less than that. 56? That well, how many, how many, or 52? How many weeks are in a year? 52. 52. Yeah, see. <laughs> so you must be counting like Good Friday, Christmas Eve. Yeah, well, I mean, well, think about it. Like, I mean, I think in some churches where they have a lot of those extra holidays like Mm -hmm. you know if you are preaching a monday thursday a good friday maybe you're doing like a somber saturday uh maybe you are preaching a pentecost message if you're doing an ash wednesday service so i mean i think you know you could yeah thanks yeah or i mean we've done like a i know the church that i work at now they've done like a blessing of the pets where they've done a message and they've encouraged people to bring their pets and the pastor prays over them and bless them like like okay well that's a, another message and sermon that you know the pastor has to write and 
authoritate to a group of people. Um, but yeah, so I asked that question about, you know, how many good sermons can one preach? And I think the idea of that I'm kind of concluding with is if you want to engage people, if you have an idea for a message or a theme, like, I don't know, like um, dark or whatever the theme may be, it could be just like, you know, as the lead, you could preach like maybe one or two in that series and then have your other staff preach or maybe have a elder or a church member who may know who may have had a the type of topic is something that they've dealt with and they can share kind of their personal experience about a particular topic that fits within this series. And I think that allows more voices to communicate to a similar topic or a similar theme that's going to keep everybody engaged and enticed. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question when you like when you I mean, you could probably answer this more than I could. Mm -hmm. But how many good sermons could you preach in a year? How many good sermons can you write in a year? How many good and you could take it a step further? How many good sermons uh, have I wrote that are great but aren't preached well? Yeah, right. Or vice versa. How many sermons that I wrote weren't great, but they turned out really well just because of the way that I prepared them. Um, I would, I don't know, it, 52 weeks in a year. I don't know. Maybe 10% of your sermons are great. Maybe five. I, I don't know. I really can't like yeah. how, how often did you feel just like, man, I just felt really good. Like I knocked it out of the park today. Yeah. And I, th I think pastors would know because I think there's times where when I preach, well, that was the thing. Like I preached last Sunday there's a first, and that was the first time I preached a sermon probably about a year and a half, two years. And I wrote my first draft and it was garbage. <laughs> well, you, it you was, preached, you preached at Capital University last year. I did preach at Capital University, but that was more of a short devotional thing. It was like, I'm going to preach something and then we're going to have a discussion. So it was a little bit different. It wasn't like a typical sermon. So yeah, I guess I would count Capital. So this would be my second in a couple of years. Then I'm also preaching on Mother's Day, too, so that'll be interesting. But, I mean, I wrote my first sermon, and I'm writing, and as I'm reading it and writing it, I'm, I even could feel, man, this is going to be boring. I'm so can ask, bored. Can I, can, can I ask a, seri a serious <laughs> yeah, question about crafting yeah. craft craft Mother's Day sermons? Yeah. How do you do that when that can be one of the hard, harder Sundays to prepare, right? I was thinking, so, like, for example, for, for listeners – my mother died a year and a half ago. Yeah. It's incredibly hard for me to go to church on Mother's Day. I remember going last year at the church I was serving at, and I just cried the entire service. Yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> or, that's or, hard. I think. Or for folks well, that are trying to have children and can't and want to be yeah. women that want to be mothers. Like, yeah, that's hard. And, and that's the thing. So a lot of times what I would always do when I would preach a Mother Day sermon, and this year is going to be different because the UMC preaches through a um, liturgical calendar. So I'm actually preaching John 14 on Mother's Day, which is, you know, Jesus promising the Holy Spirit. Where in years past when I didn't have one, I wasn't preaching through liturgy. I would just take a woman from the Bible and I would just preach on her. And I wouldn't just necessarily preach like Mary or um, Rebecca or Sarah. Like I was looking for, I would preach like like Zipporah or I would preach uh, Rizpa. Rizpa is probably my favorite woman I like to preach on. I love preaching Rizpa. Just these women and, and especially like with Mother's Day, um, I'm very especially like Mother's Day gifts, because I know a couple of the last two churches I was part of, they always would do like a special Mother's Day gift. And I kind of made it a uh, a point, like when we're doing a Mother's Day celebration or doing something, every single woman is getting something. And I don't want to get something that has like, oh, thank God for godly mothers or something like that. Like I want to find something that says something about, you know, woman of God or something that doesn't necessarily say mom on it. If I, if I'm having all the, if I'm having the men's group buying roses, every single woman young or old, 
even child is getting a rose. Because I do, because at the same time, yeah, you have the mothers who can't have kids. You have the mothers who are stepmothers. You have the mothers who adopted kids. You have the women who can't get pregnant for whatever reasons. Uh, you have women who have lost children or have had miscarriages. Um, you have had women who've lost their mothers. So, or sons who've lost their mothers. So it is a very hard. So I usually try not to get into the thing of, well, let's talk about moms and what a good mom is and and and, and kind of push that because I know for a lot of people that's kind of, well, it's just focusing on moms. So the woman who can't have kids feels very left out and neglected mm. of the message and they, and they can't connect to the message because it's so focused on a particular audience then it's hard because you're, you're you're there to celebrate that but at the same time there are people that are going through things with that same yeah. thing same thing for father's day i mean yeah absolutely it's a, um yeah so that's oh yeah so i answer your question that's usually how i navigate mother's day i usually just talk about a woman in the bible who happens to be a mom and i mean especially like with rispa like her kids got her kids got murdered she didn't have any children. Her kids got murdered. So, and she's out in the field, basically fighting off animals on the ground so that, and also fighting off birds in the air so they don't peck at her sons, so they don't dishonor her sons. And King David finally hears about this. So he ends up giving these kids a proper burial. And the whole story is this a story about a woman's resilience to bring justice to her kids who were murdered. And not necessarily that she did anything wrong or her sons did anything wrong. It was because they were connected to Saul. And because Saul did something wrong, they were the ones that got killed. They were the ones that got punished. And it was an act of injustice. And yet you see this woman who's literally sacrificing everything to make sure her sons were dishonored. And I think that's a yeah. very, I think that's a great story um, that most people don't talk about. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So when I, so going back to my first thing, like I wrote my first sermon, it was garbage because it just was just analytical. Everything was analytical and information based. So I really had to sit back and read through it and go, okay, how am I going to work this as a way that's going to connect with people? And this was John 10, one through 10 that I was speaking on where Jesus is talking about him being the good shepherd and, you know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come to give life and a life abundantly. And, you know, reading through that message and doing all my homework, it was like, okay, well, what does it mean to be in the gate? What does it mean to be inside the gate with the shepherd? But then he also says, once you enter in the gate and you leave, you find pasture. What does that mean? So I kind of looked at it in the way it kind of spoke to me and kind of the direction I felt the Holy Spirit was guiding me was to not necessarily focus on entering into gate means entering into eternal life with Jesus. But what does it mean of entering into a gate so that you can be in a state of perpetual peace that oozes the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ when you're engaged with people? Where you could be so in tune, your ear could be so in tune to the shepherd's voice that the anxieties start to dissipate. And they no longer have control over your life and that you have more of an abundant life. Um, so that was the direction I went. So the very first way I start off my sermon is, do you live in a state of perpetual peace? And, mm -hmm. that's, and, that, and I think even just me asking that question and even saying like, you know, I believe John 10, 1 through 10 gives us some clues and there's some three nuggets of wisdom that can help us to live a life of peace, love, and mercy that not only benefits our own lives, but that can benefit the lives of the people around us. And then I start to go, and then I start to go through, you know, a typical three-point sermon, but then I start to go through that. I mean, I know pastors who they preach, but they're the thing that kind of connects them is like a Jesus video. And they're kind of watching, they're going through teaching about Jesus and the things that Jesus did or up to his death on the cross. They may play a video clip and go right there. 
Um, I know some people who've done like a Disney theme one and they would play clips from Disney. And I think uh, there was a pastor down in Texas who used to be David Crowder's pastor. I can't remember his name, um, but he used to do the thing like the gospel according to Disney or the gospel according to the Sopranos. And he would do messages based on pop culture and shows that his congregation was listening to and saying, hey, here's a scene from the Sopranos. And here's what the scripture can speak into this situation and kind of use that as an illustration that kind of engages people. So I think a lot of times uh, crafting a story or crafting something, you know, it first has to start with who your audience is. You don't want to be using 2020 references if you have a congregation who's mostly is just going to be watching Bonanza at home. You make a bonanza reference they're 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 locked in you know if you have an older congregation uh but if you do have a younger congregation it's important that you make a reference that connects with them or if you have an older congregation that has no clue what you're talking about make sure you take the time to kind of explain to them hey i'm going to talk about this and some of you may not know what it is so here's kind of what it is um so i think that's a way of knowing your audience and then you know think about as a pastor, you should know the needs of their congregation. You should know the things that they struggle with, the things that they're going through, and not like on a personal level, but just kind of an overall feel. I mean, if you have a lot of people who, I mean, well, you work in Middletown, right, Micah? Mm, I, or you're I, familiar with Middletown, right? I am. Yeah, yeah. We work in so Middletown used yeah. to, at one point, used to be kind of a big, bustling city and then all of a sudden what jobs dried up and then it kind of became a empty shell what happened was the recession in 08 happened and then um armco steel which Mm -hmm. then became ak steel literally did this so like if you have middletown in the middle right no Mm -hmm. pun pun intended here right pun intended um you have miamisburg and centerville up north and then you have westchester and mason south and so when the recession hit these two areas were growing and middletown just got sucked out of the vortex and everything went north and everything went south that included the mill and as soon as the mill left middletown it was over right like nobody can like middletown's still there and you know there are things you know businesses and whatnot and yeah it's but that really hurt that community um yeah as a result absolutely and I think that's the big thing, too. And I think that's the big thing, too, because with Middletown, you you have a jobs that dried up. Same thing with Youngstown. Youngstown's the Rust Belt. And once the steel jobs left Youngstown, it became an empty shell. Like, and that's the same thing. Like everything around Youngstown, Youngstown was still growing, had commerce. You know, you had Boardman, you had Poland, you had Portland. Um, but Youngstown itself was a dead city. And... So if you're pastoring in Youngstown and something like that happens where like even now, like Lordstown up in Northeast Ohio, they had a a Chevy left. So now there's a meal there like that makes cars and they're trying to see if, you know, Tesla was interested. There's some other people that are another car manufacturer that was interested to keep jobs there. But people like 60,000 people lost their jobs. Mm. So if you're a pastor and that's happening in your community, you can tell a story and you can speak to that situation. Um, if you're living in a place where your high school or maybe a local college had to deal with, um, with, with racism, you can talk about that because it's going to be fresh on people's minds and you're going to be able to help navigate them through topics of race or anything. So I think in the end, you know, if you want to do long-term storytelling and it really entice people to really engage with the message you're getting, you don't necessarily have to be entertaining in a way where you have to have the bells and whistles, but it's more of really talking and communicating to some of the deepest worries and longings in their life and just being able to navigate them in such a way that not only are they tuned in, but then they're able to learn something to apply it into their own lives so that they too can be able to have a sense of hope when they, when they leave your service on Sunday. Mm. Well, I think too, like, like you said, I had a pastor friend of mine years ago say, you just have to know your audience. 
And what he meant by that was when I was taking a, a preaching class in seminary at the time. And he was like, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to write an hour's worth of material for, let's just use the example of, you know, youth ministry or children's ministry, young adult ministry, like in the younger generations of a church, they're going to check out 15 minutes after what you start, you know, after you start preaching because they're bored and they've checked out and you've over-prepared for what, you know what I mean? Like you've over-prepared for uh, your audience. And if you've over-prepared and you're, you know, you're speaking over their head, you're not relating to them. Then, you know, same thing you said, Scott, about the, the situation where uh, the, the car company left the community. And so you can use that as a sermon point, right? Like yeah. it's knowing your audience and engaging with, with, with what's going on in your community. Um, I also think too, like you have to be creative in your, um, in your brand and in your culture and your, your, um, your mission statement. And I, and I reference Crossroads a lot mm-hmm. on our time, you know, during our times together, but they're a church in Cincinnati. They're a larger church in the country, you know, multi-site campuses, 35,000 people go every day, every, you know, every weekend to their multiple sites. Um, but they, you know, they were really about this adventurous life as their brand and adventurous mm-hmm. life as their mission statement and their purpose in writing their sermons has always been, we're going to be strategic in, you know, who is our audience? You know, how can we re- relate to what's going on? Um, you know, different things like uh, what are the most intriguing things going on in society right now, right? Um, right now they're in a series called Discover the Power of the Books of the Book of Acts. So they're doing a series on the Book of Acts, Discover the Power. And yeah. um, other series they've done, Good God Stories. That's another one. Uh, action leads to growth. And so like they're very strategic in what they preach and why. Uh, find Your Way Home, the Book of Genesis. And it's, it was basically on the story of Adam and Eve all the way through uh, Joseph. And so they, they're they very good at like, okay, this is how we can relate to what's going on in society. And for me, I've, I've preached, you know, not nearly as many times as you have, but I've written sermons and I try to, to, to do the three points thing. And I try to craft the intro, the three points, what my text is, a conclusion and kind of a prayer, like the basic model. But I've always found it interesting, speaking of generations, how we can generationally speaking, who's speaking, if that makes sense. Generationally, yeah. like, let's just say your dad or my dad's speaking at a church. Mm-hmm. They may preach 35 or 45 minutes. But I went to seminary at Anderson and I went to chapel and whoever spoke, spoke 20 minutes and that person had a Ph.D., but they weren't a lead pastor at a church. Yeah. It always amazed me like the timing and like how long certain people preached and why uh, based on the, based on the demographic, based on where they were, based on the the venue they were preaching in. Um, but it's almost like there's this expectancy to preach longer in different situations where if you can get your point across in 20, 25 minutes, then that should be good. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. It's there, there's, there's no, like, in my opinion, there's no perfect science to writing a sermon or using illustrations. Like I yeah. told Jordan, our friend, Jordan Holstead, uh, a sermon series idea I had a couple of years ago called the infinity stones. Like you can mm-hmm. relate the infinity stones to what's going on in the Marvel cinematic universe. And there's six different stones and you could do the power stone, the mind stone, the you know, you could talk about the power stone and you can run a parallel with the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the blood of the lamb, right? Yeah. You could do the mind stone and talk about overcoming anxiety and depression and, and talk about different Bible characters that struggled, right? Or even Romans 12 too, you know, right. the transforming of your mind. Mm-hmm. And you could do the time stone, you know, time marches on, you know, t- you know, run a parallel, you know, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's just, how can you relate? And I think that's where a lot of people are missing it today. Like, if you want people to come to Jesus and you want people to know the gospel and you know, that you want people to know Jesus Christ and, and, and really have that relationship with him, you're going to have to relate to people where they are. 
they're not going to understand, Scott, like you were saying, no offense to what you're saying just a few minutes ago, but like you're saying, man, I overprepared for this message, right? And I have my three points and I've got this text and I've got an hour long of exegetical preparation that's going into this amazing message that I'm about to preach. I guarantee you that if the drug addict walks in your church, they're not going to know what the word exegetical means. Exactly. Right. So you exactly. have to relate to them. Yeah. Right. You have to say, you know what? Uh, I don't know. What's a good illustration? Um, Peter was a screw up, right? Like yes. Adam was a screw up, right? Like that we all make mistakes. And so yeah. this is how you can relate to them and bring it down to their level. Like, I, but again, I, I, there's no perfect, I, I don't think there's a perfect way to write a sermon. And I think everybody does it differently and everybody prepares differently. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Illust- so I think- illustrations are not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think friends, so friends, um, as we're wrapping up, what are, what are your thoughts with, sir? How do you prepare sermons? Is, are, is any of this helping? Do you know your audience? Do you, or are you, or maybe your culture, maybe you're have a church that's full of Bible scholars. So you have to do the whole exegetical, you know, preach three hours because you're breaking down every little tidbit and, Every time you walk in on a Sunday morning, it's like going into a lecture hall where some of you, you're probably ministering to pimps and prostitutes and drug addicts. So the way you prepare and how to engage that audience is completely different. But whatever your audience is, you know, it's always important that we're always knowing who they are, knowing their concerns, their needs, their wants, and just be able to see how the gospel, how the scriptures can really speak to their lives as we prepare and write and do multiple drafts to really get to a place where you say, okay, this is the message that I believe is really going to impact people. And again, if you can get behind your message and you're like, man, I'm very excited about it, then it's going to show when you present it. If you're just like, well, it's another sermon. Here we go. Like then then it's definitely going to fall flat because you just, you know, you're just like, well, it's just another day. It's another Sunday. So let's just get it done. But friends, Thank you so much for listening to this Scott Stedman podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll be back on with another episode. Take care.